Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be there in just one moment. If you need a Bible this morning, there are Bibles on the back tables. You can grab those. And it's interesting, someone asked me before service, said, Hey, Pastor, we're, we're following you along uh, as you're reading, um, but my Bible says something totally different than yours. And I said, Well, that's the Koran. No, just kidding. No, 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 no. No, I was just kidding. They're King, they've got the King James Version. And you're asking, what version are you using? And I said, I use the NIV. I've used it since I was in high school. I remember getting the first NIV Bible, um, King James before that in my life. But, uh, and uh, so I'm a creature of habit. But I'll tell you, I do my Bible reading in the English Standard Version. And when I do some just uh, other reading, I love the message at times. And uh, there's just the way that different writers and different... And, uh, interpretations they're not really interpretations what are they translations thank you uh there's a lot of uh neat stuff when you look at it in a different light so anyway we've been studying the red letters found in revelation 2 and 3 these are letters to the churches in asia minor and uh, it won't take a lot of time we've kind of done a nice job over the last couple weeks uh, uh, giving some background to that Uh, But these letters were a confirmation of God's love for those churches. But at the same time, there was not only a love, but there was also correction that needed to come. And there was a restoration of faith that was needed in the church. And last week we specifically talked about that the church, within the church, there needed to be a faith that was uh, uh, rejuvenated in the church. But then it was kind of twofold that from the outsiders looking in at the church, at that time, they needed to see the church be the church. And I would say the same thing is true today. Your friends, your family, um, your neighbors, those that are not part of the church, they need to see us as the body of Christ doing what we're supposed to be doing, not compromising, not tolerating sin like we looked at last week. What's interesting is that Jesus had something to say to each of the churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and Pergamum. And Jesus has something to say to us as well. Last week we looked at Pergamum. It was the place where uh, the throne of Satan lives. How would you like to live there? Uh, It doesn't sound like a great place to live, but he he said to Pergamum, he said, I know where you live. And the, the encouragement last week was to examine our own hearts when it comes to tolerating sin within the body, uh, within the church, and then also compromising personally when it comes to sin. And I'll tell you, I have been challenged and, uh, from my own preaching, um, and you know that happens sometimes. And uh, I have been going over this in my mind, tolerance, compromise, where in my life, what about my family? And I talked about it on Wednesday night as we reviewed the red letters on Wednesday night. Just want to put a plug in for that. Uh, You don't want to miss that. I'm telling you, it's really powerful. And especially this week, we're not going to be able to dive into all of the ways that the issues uh, affect us today, this morning. Uh, But on Wednesday night, that's an opportunity to do that. But it was a firm encouragement to the church last week, to the Church of Pergamum, to, be, uh, to hold the standard uh, high, to use God's word as a standard, and then to give grace to those outside of the church. I love the, where we landed. It says in God's word that you know, within the church, believers, if someone is participating in sexual immorality and idolatry, which are the two main big things that Pergamum struggled with, it said not even to eat with someone like that if they call themselves a believer. 
But then outside of the church, we're supposed to extend them grace and show them love and uh, be an encouragement. And so, uh, and I would say the same is so true today. We need to hold the standard high within our ranks and uh, that uh, will certainly, God will bless that. Well, today we're going to go to Thyatira and uh, an interesting city. So far, the cities have been known for uh, having great worship centers and temples, high class, commercial institutions, very successful, very powerful cities, the first three that we looked at. And today, Thyatira is 40 to 45 miles southeast, and mostly east, but a little bit south of Pergamum, and 75 miles north of Sardis, which we'll look at in a couple weeks after Mother's Day. It's an inland, very much so. There's no sea or uh, it's not a seaport city. It's not on the water like the rest of the churches so far. And it's a small city, but it has some big problems. And it's very interesting. The city is strategically located between Pergamum and Sardis. And it's really not a a destination location. It's not a place that you would go and stay um, even today. In fact, at that time, it was a military outpost built for defense. And Rome stationed their elite guard uh, at Thyatira. And in that city, there was a headquarters uh, for many different trades. Trades that would create wool and linen and apparel. Um, they would dye stuff. And, and in fact, um, dye was kind of originated out of Thyatira. And uh, if you read in Acts chapter 16 about Lydia, um, who was uh, known for her purple garments, dye and uh, uh, scarlet in Acts, she was the first one to give her heart to the Lord in Philippi. Uh, she was a convert, but she was from Thyatira. Um, they also made robes, and they were tanners and leather makers, and they were also known, and you'll see why this is important when we read this, uh, this letter, they were known for their bronze work, excellence in craftsmanship. And the bronze work and the metal and the, all those things really had a couple purposes, military and power um, for making you know, tools and, and uh, swords and, and defense mechanisms, but also they, they also were the ones that were coining the Roman coins, and, uh, and that was uh, very interesting there. But with these trades, and I think it's important for us to see, that there were guilds or unions of people that were created. And you had to be a part of that to almost make it in the city. If you weren't a part of one of these guilds or unions, uh, you were a no one, a nobody. It was a social and political and economic group of people. But it's interesting, they also had a religious role, uh, these guilds did, in the city. It's how people lived. Each of them had their own patron deity. They would celebrate their own feasts and festivals. And in that culture... Uh, those deities in those guilds, they, they were high on sexual immorality and idol worship. Sounds familiar from Pergamum, doesn't it? And being a follower of Christ in this city at that time, they would have either been fired from their jobs if they confessed Christ, they would have been ostracized, or it would have been very difficult to make a living. Thyatira was kind of a blue-collar type of community. And overall, not a whole lot of religious importance, except in their city, they did believe in the god Apollo, and they believed that Caesar was, uh, was 
was the son of Apollo. And so they would call Caesar the son of God. And again, we'll see in Scripture uh, why God uses, or why Jesus in, these, in this red letter uses some terminology there. And so they would worship Caesar as if he was God. And uh, they recognized that. And so that kind of gives you a little bit of a picture of uh, what the city was like. On Wednesday night, I'm sure we'll go a little deeper in that. But uh, for our time this morning, um, we're going to dive into what it says. And so I want you to stand up. I want you to grab a copy of God's Word in the NIV or whatever else you might have. And uh, let's read this uh, together. Let's honor God's Word like we have been over the last couple weeks. And um, as we read this, I want you to understand that Jesus wrote these words to these cities, uh, to these churches, and it affected their culture. It made a difference. And I believe it can make a difference today. Today is not a history lesson. It was an assessment to the church in Thyatira. And it's an assessment, I believe, for our own lives and for our own church. And so that's kind of where we want, we want these words to just ring out true to us. All right. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. It says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God. Interesting. Whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. God, Jesus is serious here. Then all the church will know that I am he who searches the hearts and the minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, you, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. He's saying you're okay. If you're not following her, you're doing all right. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does the will of, to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule with them or rule them with an iron scepter. It's interesting he says that iron scepter. Uh, he will dash them uh, like pieces of pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's the longest letter, interesting letter. And let's let it just sit in our hearts this morning. Let God's word remain true in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that it has to change us, transform us. And Lord, I just pray that we would heed your word. Like it says in Revelation uh, 1, 16, I think, or 1, 3, that if we hear the words, and not only hear it, but we are doers of the word, we put it into practice. Lord, there is blessing that comes with that. And that's what we desire today. We want to be blessed by you. We want to know your will for our lives. Help us in all these things, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 We've been following a pattern each week, and uh, if you can look at it up here, 
uh, that there's, these letters have a pattern. There's a characteristic of Jesus described, then a compliment, then a concern, a correction, and then a commitment. And we're going to follow that pattern again this morning as we go through the, these verses. So we'll start at verse 18 of chapter 2, where we see a characteristic of Jesus. In his writing, each, to each of the letters, he describes himself in a different way. It's very personal, and, and as you study, there's revelation there that's saying, wow, the original hearers, they would have related to exactly what he was saying. And in this, uh, let me read it, it says, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are burning, or, uh, like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. There are three things he, here that he says about himself. First of all, he says, I am the Son of God. I am God, not Caesar. And he's saying that in the face of a very uh, intense Roman culture there. He captured their attention. And those that had been caught up in emperor cult worship to Caesar would have peeked up their ears and listened and saying, okay. And it's interesting, he obviously needed to remind them who Jesus was. 30 years after the church in that area was established, they were already turning to other gods, other idols. And he says, no, I am the one and true God. The other thing he says, he says that his eyes are like blazing fire, penetrating. A discernment, judgment are found in his eyes. And then his feet burnished bronze, speaking to those guilds, those that were bronze and copper workers, um, that they would have understood that, the excellence in craftsmanship. And he's saying, look, I'm the one here with authority. Jesus reinforces himself as the judge. And we see that originally in Daniel chapter 10, verse 6. And it's interesting how God brings those things together into the church there in Thyatira. They needed to hear who Jesus was in their lives at that moment. As I think about that, and I read those words, I was thinking about it this week. I'm saying, man, when Jesus' eyes look at us, when his eyes penetrate into our lives, what does he see in us? Because it's interesting, when he sees the church in Thyatira, he sees, first of all, a compliment. And he gives them a great compliment. Let's look at verse 19, and I love this. And uh, boy, they, these guys are feeling great when they read this or when they hear this. He says to them, he says, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Their deeds, their good works. That word love there is the best kind of love, agape love, a God type of love. Their faith, their servanthood. And I love the word, when I looked it up in the Greek, the perseverance. That word there is a cheerful patience in the middle of very difficult circumstances. They persevered. And I'll tell you, I, I can look out at some of your lives, and I know some of the things that you're dealing with, that you're struggling with, whether it's a physical ailment or, or something else in your life. And I'll, I'll say, there are many examples of perseverance. You're cheerful, you're joyful, even in the middle of difficult circumstances. I want to commend you for that. Uh, all of our stories are different, and, and we're all struggling in different areas uh, at times, 
but God is good, and he knows that, and he, he compliments them. He's saying, look, you have outstanding progress. And he talks about the church even doing more or growing. It's the only church out of the seven that he says, you're multiplying. He's saying, good job, great job. And you'd love to just put the letter down and say, okay, let's go home, right? But that's not what it says. Because there's a one word in this letter that is really important. And it's in verse 20. And it says, nevertheless. Everyone say that with me. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. It's a dramatic pause. And to the original hearers, they're saying, oh no. Oh no, here it comes. I better listen up. It's almost as if, we, like we do with our own kids. If you have kids, you, you know, and you have something to correct them on, you sit them down and you say, son, I love you. Uh, you're my son. I would die for you. And then here comes the look. Like he knows something's coming, right? That's the nevertheless in that moment. Nevertheless. And, you know, sometimes we get that look without the compliment. And maybe it's across, uh, you know, the aisle saying, son, daughter, I see what you're doing. You know, let's keep it quiet. Let's, let's uh, pay attention here. Uh, but he's saying, nevertheless. And then he lays out a concern that is a big concern. In the church of Thyatira, they had allowed a false prophet to not only be in the church, but to gain ground and traction. And people were following this false prophet. Let's look at verse 20. It says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. He calls on a woman, a dominant leader, a self-proclaimed prophetess. And like Pergamum, they were tolerating this false teaching. It was an erosion, a slow fade. I'm sure that this lady didn't just show up and start preaching what she was preaching at that time, what Jesus was, was talking about, but there was a slow fade. And what's interesting is the person's name most likely wasn't Jezebel. We understand that when you, when you study here. But Jezebel, was an old, there's an Old Testament connection. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter uh, 16 was the first mention of Jezebel and really carried through all the way to 2 Kings chapter 9. And if you want to, uh, if you like blood and guts and you like uh, watching the Avengers and those types of movies, you know, something that's full of action, the end of her life is crazy. You can read it in uh, 2 Kings chapter 9 and I would encourage you to do that. But really her name here is used symbolically. It was associated with evil and with pagan influence. In the Old Testament, Jezebel led Israel astray, plain and simple. She defied the prophets of God. And in Thyatira, Jezebel, or this person, brought these pagan practices and idolatry into the church, mingling these, uh, these foreign practices with Christian works and worship. And most commentators think it was very similar to the Nicolaitans and the Balaamites that we talked about in Pergamum as well. And there was this Roman influence as well. And it's interesting that out of Thyatira, Virgin Mary worship was established out of there. 
purgatory, the idea of purgatory, that when you die, you go to a place in between and, and you, there's still a chance for right and wrong to happen. Uh, that was influence was created out of Thyatira. And it's very possible that this person that Jesus is talking about was bringing some of those teachings into the church just 30 years after the church was established. In the Old Testament, Jezebel degraded worship in Israel's history. She was ruthless, immoral. She was a seducer of people. And Jesus identifies this leader with this Old Testament imagery. And to the original hearers, those that when they roll out this letter and they read this, it's possible that that lady was right in their midst. Can you imagine? I mean, it's quiet now. I mean, but it would have been just dead quiet. It was like an arrow coming into the church. The early church, they knew that Jesus was exposing the true character of this woman. You know what's interesting? Jesus is still concerned today. He wants to shoot arrows into our heart, into our church. He's concerned with the difference between true and false prophets. I mean, when people are led astray like they were in Thyatira, um, Jesus is concerned about that. You say, well, what in the world was she doing? Why was Jesus going to punish her and even kill her children, we read? Well, as I studied this and looked, it's, 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 you'd kind of speculate, but uh, some commentators said that she was claiming, first of all, for sure, she would, that she was speaking for God. And uh, which, you know, if you're not speaking for God, if you're not hearing from God and you say you are, how many know that's probably a, some trouble, right? But she would say things like this that you will not understand grace in your own life unless you experience the stronghold of Satan. Let me explain. What she would have been saying is in their culture, she would have said, look, you've got to work, right? In these guilds, these places of work, even though they've got their own deity, you can worship these guilds, you can do those things, you can participate, you have to live, right? And then you can come to church and experience God's power over that area or in the regard to sexual immorality that it's talking about she would have said okay certainly god understands the passion that's burning in your heart that you could be sexually active outside of marriage or you know premarital sex or multiple partners whatever the case might be because there was festivals and orgies and the like in that day and she would say that's all okay you can participate in those things because god's grace kind of on sunday he'll cover that the darkness is okay. The idol worship is okay. Just call on God's power in these areas. It was like some kind of rush that you could live like however you want throughout the week. But then Sunday morning, it was going to be okay. That God was, he would understand. You know, it's so elementary. It's so backwards. Um, I remember when I was a, uh, about 12 or 13 years old, I remember riding in the back of my dad's 1976 uh, Lincoln Town Car. <laughs> and I only remember it because that was the year I was born. Uh, but I remember riding in the back of, my, of this car, and my grandma was sitting next to me. And I've shared this story before. But I remember telling my grandma, Grandma, I need to smoke and to drink. And I remember saying those two things. I need to smoke and drink so I can have a testimony. Oh, no, and it was the same kind of idea. That she's saying, look, so that grace would abound even more, the, the, this, this prophetess, 
experience the world, and then come and then experience God's power in your life. Now, we see that as foolish, I hope. Do we see, or do we sin more so that we can experience grace more? No, absolutely not. Jesus says you are tolerating the teaching of this woman, and it's infiltrating everything that's happening there. As we step back and look at that, and we say, well, you know, false teachers today, you know, we can sniff them out, right? We can watch them on late night, um, you know, TV and things like that, right? But, you know, it's subtle. We hear the big names, the Jim Jones, and they take them all out and drink the Kool-Aid. Um, just so you know, guys, at our men's retreat, uh, if we take communion, it won't be poison. So you can come at the uh, father-son retreat, uh, and you're safe there. But, you know, we, we read stories, or remember, you know, back a few years ago, you remember the, the whole group that wore those Nikes, and they all laid the same way with their feet hanging the, out? Remember that? They thought some spaceship was going to come and take... I mean, that's kind of extreme. Most of us are not going to get caught up in that, I hope, right? We're grounded enough. But there's subtle things that can infiltrate a slow fade, moral slips, some people would say, well, business is business. And, uh, you know, I'm under pressure to compromise. And whether you live in Muskegon or Grand Haven or Spring Lake or Coopersville, there's, there's pressure to conform to the patterns of this world. When it comes to sexual things and drunkenness, there's pressure in this world to participate in those things. And what they would have been saying and what even happens in our circles, in, our, in the American church, for sure, and I, I believe that it can even happen here, and may, is, may be happening, may is, how about that? <laughs> they would say, but God understands. God knows you need to make a living. God knows the, you know, the relationship that you have. And it's okay, you can come to church and come on, get on your knees and repent, and everything's going to be fine. You can live like you want and then show up to church and God's going to just cover it. That was what was happening in the church of Thyatira. And what's interesting is Jesus had given this Jezebel, this prophetess, opportunity to repent. It was gracious. Let's look at verse 21. It says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. She refuses to repent. Jesus offers her repentance, but she denies it. And because of that, Jesus has to, because of his character, he has to come in and to judge. And I would just say, let's take a snapshot of our own lives. When, we, when sin is exposed in our lives, are we quick to repent? And I hope we are. When, there, when the light bulb goes on, when we're when there's a place of darkness, there's light that's shown in our own lives. Are we quick to repent or are we quick to say, God understands the pressure that I'm under. He understands that I need to cheat on this test. He understands that I need to you know, hang around with this certain group so I can be popular. He understands where I am, even though it's sinful. And he says, well, yeah, he understands, he may understand the pressure you're under, but he's saying repent, and if not, then there's judgment. Verses 22 and 23 describe the judgment for this Jezebel. It says, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering. Doesn't sound very fun. And I will also make those who commit adultery with her 
suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. Again, he's merciful. He's, re, he's extending grace. But if not received, there will be judgment. And he says, I will strike her children dead. To the next generation, even. The sin will continue. Fatal judgment. What's interesting is that the same Jesus that wrote these words, these red letters, he still, listen, it says, then the churches will know that I am he who searches the hearts and the minds, right? And will repay each of you according to your deeds. He's still searching our hearts and our minds. Take your hand, put it on your heart for a second. Jesus is searching your heart. He's searching your mind. Put your hand on your forehead and just the things that you think about, the things that you obsess about, the things that that come across your mind. He searches out our hearts and our minds. He's still doing that today. And then to the church there, he says to hold on to the uh, to to those that aren't getting caught up in the Jezebel worship or the, the false teachings there. He says this in verses, verse 24 and 25. He says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. And then he says, Only hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on. We need to hold on at times, don't we? When it's hard, when it seems like everyone's going in a different direction, we need to stand strong. What's interesting is there's a concern, but then there's a commitment given to the church. And the commitment is this, that if you overcome, if you hold on, you will rule the nations. You will inherit the light, the morning star. And to the original hearers of this, they would have known exactly what that means. They were trying that area. The, there was heavy Roman rule over that city. The, the best, the elite of the, the, um, the soldiers in, in the military were there, grounded there, and there was much oppression there. But they, he's saying, look, you will rule over them. He says, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. This would have been encouraging to them. They, it would have lifted their souls. Is he will rule with them like an iron scepter, where they made iron scepters, where they made the, 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 the instruments used in battle. He's saying he will rule with them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. He says, I will also give him the morning star, representative of Jesus, the light. And he says, listen, listen, listen. Verse 29, listen, let those who hear. Um, go back to Revelation 1, 3. It says, blessed are, is the one who reads the words or hears the words. Blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. And today, more than ever, the time is near. God is moving. He is still the judge. He's still searching out the hearts and the minds of people. He's in our church doing that. And yes, He's gracious. Yes, He's good to forgive when we repent. But you can't live like the world and then worship on Sundays consistently. We need to humble ourselves 
and repent, just like the church in Thyatira needed to. Church, these red letters are for us. It's God's word for us. Thyatira was considered the corrupted church. Tolerance, immorality, idol worship, and excuses a mile long. That grace would abound, right? And we can look at them and say, well, how foolish that they would let someone to get in and to see that, that kind of influence. But I'll tell you, the tolerance that's in our church, even at the Gateway Church, the worldly influence, do we understand that our culture permeates our church? And as I've sat with this over the last couple of weeks, looking at tolerance and compromise in my own life and in our church, we must take heed. Yeah, we don't worship at guilds and we don't have festivals uh, uh, and things like that, but we worship the almighty dollar, our jobs, working whenever they schedule us, right? Even on Sundays. And, uh, and I understand the need for that at times. Or we totally disregard the idea that we are to rest once a week. Things in our lives that are, that are negative. And I would ask this a question. Are we giving in to our culture? Are we gambling with our spiritual lives? And I'm asking you this, corporately, but individually, are you gambling with your spiritual life? Am I gambling with my own life? Are there moral slips in my life? When it comes to business, do I have the mentality that I'll do whatever it takes to fit in, or am I going to stand strong and have great business, business ethics? At the university, am I going to stand strong for the conviction that, that God has put in my heart? At school, am I going to stand strong? Is my family going to look more like the world or more look, look, more look, <laughs> look more like the church or what the church should be? Do the vase look like the world? I'm saying, man, in a moment of honesty with a group of pastors this week, I said, I said at times, I think, our, ch- our church, and I think even my family, you know, you can't tell the difference until you get to really know us. I'm saying, shouldn't we stand out a little bit more? I'm not sure. But the encouragement is to be careful. Be careful. We've got to work this out, and I want to encourage you, John, as we study and look at this for Wednesday night, and those that will be here on Wednesday night, I want to encourage all of you to join us, that we can look at some of these things a little deeper. And What does it mean? to live like the world, or what kind of influences have infiltrated the church, and what kind of influences have you allowed in your own life? You know, I was talking with Pastor Pale, and he said, you know, sometimes we just got a clean house. Got a clean house. And that's maybe where we are today, where some of us are. The bottom line is that the world will, and it does, squeeze us. We don't have guilds, but we do have social clubs. We have the desire to fit in. Identity, um, you know, whether you're a teenager or a young adult, there's a desire to fit in, who's in, who's out. And it's subtle. It hits us in our music and in our, the clothes that we wear, the idols that we allow into our lives, and even in our speech. And the pressure today is everywhere. 
You can't get away from it. Last week, we said in, within the church, we need to not tolerate sin. And for the outside of the church to be able to look in and to say, boy, they do have a standard. They don't tolerate. They don't compromise. I'm not advocating this morning that we pack up our bags and move to the wilderness and live in a hut all by ourselves so we can get away from the world. Although sometimes that sounds pretty good, right? I don't want anyone building a shelter, a bomb shelter under their home and where you can get water and, and maybe a little sunshine. But I do want us to heed God's word. And there's a couple verses I want to leave us with and then we're going to wrap up and, and spend some time praying about this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, turn there with me. Some powerful words as, as Paul is writing to Timothy and he's wrapping up his letter, his first letter to Timothy. He gives a charge to Timothy, and I'm not going to take the time to read the whole section, but I would encourage you to read 11 through 20. But let's look at verse 11 and 12 and then verse 20 specifically. It says, but you, man of God, you could almost put it, your name in there, but you, Larry Scott, but you, um, Reagan Vey, but you, John Taylor, you put your name in it, all right? It says, flee from all of this. And he just described love of money and love of the world and, and all these things. And instead, he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. And frankly, sometimes it's a fight, isn't it? We have to take a stand in our own lives, in our families. And sometimes it is not easy. Let's go to verse 20. He's wrapping up his words to Timothy. He says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Turn away from the falsehood that's around us, the false teaching, false prophecy, which have, have uh, professed and which some have professed, and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Because what is true, as I understand God's word, is that there are believers that at some point, if false doctrine infiltrates, they will turn away from the true faith, from God's word. Scary. Guard yourself. Guard your family. We've got to guard our church. And in that process, we need to trust God's promises. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which says this. It says, Jesus will complete the work that he's begun in you. And so there's something that God has stirred inside of you. He will be faithful. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Like verse 25 in Revelation 2 says, hold on till I come. And some of you are right on the edge and you're saying, man, this world is about to overtake me. I can't take it anymore. I can't take the, the pressure that my kids are bringing home or I can't take you know, the influence at work or I can't take whatever the case might be. And Jesus is saying, hold on. It's worth it. Guard yourself, right? First Timothy. But then hold on because he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And then... The last scripture is, don't withdraw. When the pressure's on, stay pure. Cleanse yourself. Repent. And you say, well, why is that so important? It's not rocket science, but turn with me to 1 
Corinthians chapter 15. It says, do not be misled. Verse 33, bad company corrupts good character. (laughs) Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. That could be a word of God for someone this morning, maybe for many people. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. And again, he's talking to the Corinthian church. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. Don't be misled. Come back to your senses. Bad company will corrupt good morals. I'm going to ask the worship team, or at least Mary, to come and join me. The challenge is to repent. To be on our knees before the Lord. And the great thing is, is that when we do repent, the promise is, is that God will fill us with power. He will help us. He will protect us. The encouragement this morning is that we as believers are not to fit in with the world. Yes, we're to love the world. We need to be a part of the world. We need to reach the world. But we are to influence others. I've used this illustration in kids' church before. Aaron, why don't you come help me here for a second, all right? Um, oh, either Aaron, actually. Aaron, Evelyn, yeah, you're up. Why don't you come? Let's just imagine here that Aaron is the strong, buff young man that he is. And I want you to get up on that chair because you're going to represent the Christian body. A, a believer that loves the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your heart is so pure. All you want to do is serve God. It's kind of like Aaron. That's, I'm glad I picked you. And he's got a friend, though, that is in the world that he's trying to influence, trying to bring up to his standard. And I'm that friend. And I'm bad. <laughs> real bad. Now, I just want you to bring me up to your level, all right? Just pull me up, brother. Yeah, just get me up there, all right? Come on. Come on. Get me up here. Yeah. Just whatever it takes, man. Whatever it takes. Whoa. Did you hear that? My back just cracked. Thank you, man. Adjustment. Now, it's possible, right? I mean, within work, I mean, he could create a contraption to get me up there, I'm sure. You know, he may have to jump down. and. Get, but, but look, If we're hanging out, if we're best friends, and we're going along, how easy is it for me to pull him down? And I understand this is super simplified. You can go ahead and have a seat. Give him a hand, yeah? Yeah, good job, Aaron. The fact is, is that we are to influence others and not let that influence us. And so we got to be careful where we spend our time. We are called to be overcomers to influence our culture, but it's not easy. We are called to make an impact. Our mission statement is, our vision is to make an impact in our community, in our world. And if we're going to do that, we got to be in the world, but we got to understand that it's difficult. And if we let sin in, if we tolerate or compromise, it's a slow fade. 
It's like the erosion of the sand in, uh, on Muskegon Shores, Lake Michigan. They've got to continually bring in more sand and bring it in and, and dump it out so people can enjoy that sand. God wants to restore faith within the church. He wants to restore your faith. And he's saying, you can do it. You can hold on. But in the, on the same way, he's wanting the outside to look in and say, man, they understand it. They're not compromising. They're making a difference. And that's what God has called us to do. Could we pray this morning? Lord, I, I thank you for your word, for opportunities like this morning to take an assessment of where we are as a church, but where we are individually as well. And Lord, where we are struggling, where there's tolerance or compromise, I pray that we would not leave here until we repent of it and then really turn from our ways. Lord, we can't allow the culture to infiltrate us anymore. We are not of this world. Your word says to not conform to the patterns of this world, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Lord, you search our mind and our heart. And Lord, I believe that you're doing that even right now, all across this place. And Lord, whether we have struggled in the past and received forgiveness, or maybe we've struggled and we need forgiveness today. Lord, you are here, quick to forgive. And Lord, I pray that we would heed your words. To him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says. Help us, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Quite possible this morning that you have found yourself here at the Gateway Church. And I don't know everyone here, that's for sure. But maybe you're away from God. Maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus. And I want to extend you an opportunity to find Jesus. It's really simple, really clear. The Bible says if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins, to cleanse you from unrighteousness. He makes you new. And if you are here today and you need a fresh start, you need to deal with the sin that's in your life, whether it's a rededication or a first-time salvation. If you are here this morning and you're saying, that's me, and your heart is pounding in your chest, and I know what that feels like because I've been there, would you, right where you are, would you stand? We're not going to embarrass you, but we're just going to pray for you. Right where you are, just stand. That's you. You need to come back to the Lord. Thanks. Who else this morning would say, yeah, that's where I am today, if I'm honest. Who else would stand this morning and say, yep, that's where I am. Help me, God. In a moment of honesty, you know in your heart you need to make your heart right with the Lord. Yeah, it's embarrassing. It could, it could be, you could say, man, I, I, don't, I can't stand. My parents are right here. Or, what are they going to think? Or, my boy, my wife, what's she going to think? What's my husband going to think? Would you just stand this morning if you need to turn your life to the Lord? All right. Can we pray with you, brother?
encourage this brother in the faith? The Bible says to turn from our wicked ways and then turn our eyes on Jesus. He helps us. He wants to do that for you, Mike. This morning. Anyone else before we pray? Yep, that's me. It's where I am today. I'm on it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I sense that there may be even others this morning. If you're honest, amen. Pastor, I need to get my heart right with God. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Believers, be praying. God is working. He's, he's moving. brothers that stood. Let's uh, repeat these words after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the sin in my life and for missing the mark. Please forgive me for all my sins and come in my life. And Lord, I choose you I need your help to live according to your standard. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want everyone to stand right where you are this morning.